Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. All right, thanks for joining us on this Thursday. Scott Agnes going to join us coming up uh, in about about 45, 50 minutes or so. A couple different things we need to dive into here. If you're just joining us, the big news of the morning at what time? 7.03, KB? You reported it to everybody here in the Indy Metro area. Uh, Bill Belichick mutually parting ways there with Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots. Now, Kraft and Belichick around noon today are going to be having a press conference. So that's going to be a busy time uh, here locally. Chris Ballard speaking at 1130. Anthony Richardson before 12, him. 1230. 1230, excuse me. 11 o'clock for Richardson, 1230 for Chris Ballard. And then around noon there uh, in Foxborough, you're going to have all the goodbyes and everything with Bel- Belichick. Still think he, he coaches. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Of course, uh, we had Nick Saban later last night. We had Pete Carroll as well. So it's been a busy 24 hours here, the coaching carousel. And quite frankly, besides some of the guys, you know, younger guys who are getting different jobs or getting fired, getting promoted, whatever it may be. Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, and Bill Belichick, the old guard. And Belichick, I do uh, would imagine he will be coaching next year. We'll see where, perhaps Washington. And I think this needed to be done before we move to NBA here. I think it needed to be done because someone like Mike Vrabel, if Mike Tomlin's tenure happens to end this weekend there in Pittsburgh, eventually you got to get the ball rolling, right? You got to get these guys in. You got to get some interviews. You got to get it set up. But nonetheless, the last 24 hours, boy, the NFL and college football going to look different next year. Yeah, it's wild to think that. You know, and we had a listener, Brant, earlier text me like, "Man, you know, this is kind of making me feel old, Kevin." That you know, <laughs> if you look at the quarterbacks, um, you know, especially kind of in our general age range, Andy. You know, we grew up with Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, Rivers, you know, that, you know, I guess to a lesser extent, you know, a Favre, you know, like some sure, of those guys. Sure. And now from a coaching standpoint, you know, if you were to tell me before, you know, yesterday morning, hey, Kevin, name the top three, you know, football coaches you've seen in your lifetime easily. One, two, three on that list in some order would be Belichick, Saban, and Carroll. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody else that I would put on that list, whether it's college, pro, combining the two, however you want to do it. So, boy, it is certainly a passing of the torch. Uh, and to me, there's just no obvious answer that jumps out at Alabama. You know, I, I look at some of these Saban coaching tree guys, whether you want to say Kirby Smart or Dabo or Dan Lanning in Oregon and Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, I'm like, I don't think the grass is necessarily that green at Alabama in replacing Saban. Not, not in today's college football world, especially when so many seats are there at the table of the college football playoff and NIL this and you know how the expectations are going to be in replacing Saban. Honestly, it almost seems like you go let somebody else be the coach, let them get fired after three or four years, and then you go take <laughs> that you job if you really well, want plus to. Plus, the SEC's different with the expansion, and who knows when expansion truly stops, but you had expansion, and then they're doing away with divisions. I think this was the last year, was it not? They're doing away with divisions, and the SEC in the next year or two or three, they're going to be adding another SEC game to that ledger, which just makes everything even more difficult. And I will add this. Adam Schefter did mention specifically – 
a team for Bill Belichick, okay. and that was Atlanta. Okay. Um, you know, obviously Arthur Blank, longtime owner there with the Falcons. Uh, they do not have a GM opening. You know, some of these openings right now do have the GM element on top of it, uh, but that is one of the spots that does not. Again, eight openings right now in the NFL, uh, so a whole lot to sift through there. Uh, so Bill Belichick at Magic City is what you're saying. <laughs> so, yeah, so Bel- that would be uh, unbelievable. So he has to like go to eight and nine or nine and eight every year. I don't know. Belichick wearing the black and red of Atlanta is kind of sad. I, I don't mind saying it. It's kind of sad, but he can't go to Washington because that's a cursed franchise. Well, I, I would, I would argue wearing Commander's colors is sadder than Falcons' <laughs> well, colors. Well, I would agree. That's why I said Washington. His career would, would be over then. He would be down to his final yeah. moment. Raiders, Panthers, Chargers, if you look at it from the GM opening on top of it. So uh, 15 wins. That is what he is shy of Don Shula for the record, and I would guess and assume Bill Belichick wants that record. I was going to say, if he's trying to break Shula's record, he has to go to a franchise that's kind of ready-made to start winning games. He doesn't want to be coaching for 12 more years trying to get 15 wins if he's on a crappy well, I, franchise. I would like to think he could do that in a couple of years, Mark. <laughs> well, <laughs> well he, I don't know. The, the Patriots this year weren't very good. He, so he's here's trying, the thing. Ah. I don't think Belichick can build a team. I think he can coach a team. I don't think he can build a team any longer. And that's not, I mean, if you want to say that's a shot at him, fine. It's a shot at him. It doesn't mean he's not the GOAT. It does not mean that he's not the GOAT. I want to be clear about that. But he can't, like, you got to understand your weaknesses here. he That's not what he can do. Well, he aren't proved, all of these somewhat of a build or a rebuild? I mean, nobody is ready-made. <sighs> no one's ready-made. No but, one's even close outside maybe the Chargers. Yeah, I, I just feel, don't you feel like the Patriots' level of talent was just so cruddy? I mean, right, that, but, that's my thing. So who has a level of talent that's not cruddy? I guess that's where yeah. I would start, Seahawks, right? maybe? You know, I, I think a lot of people are intrigued by Atlanta's skill offensively. Right. I mean, that was an that, issue that, that they had. That defense was fine. That defense was fine. And that defense was a better than right. you know, half defense. Obviously, quarterback is a huge, huge question. And um, So, yeah, I, I'm obviously fascinated to see where uh, Belichick's going to end up. Because it seems like, of the three, he's the one that definitely wants to continue this. Oh yeah, I mean he's got records to break. He he has another chapter here. Well, he's he got has no a life. final chapter, and he doesn't have a life. No, that that even will eat oatmeal cream pies. Uh, Carol, <laughs> uh, you know, will do something with his energy. Carol will be like the Carol could be the mascot for the season. Yeah, I don't want to hear about Saban and his junk food habit. The dude's slender is all slender. I mean, he's a skinny guy. Did you see the video of the Atlanta students? Uh, in front of uh, what is it, Tuma's or Tumor's Corner? Oh, uh, Auburn, you mean? Uh, no, what, what's the what what's the think? Bama icon? I guess it's just Saban statue. You no, know, it's isn't just it? yeah, that's what I think of. It's just a Saban statue, and they, they were like, chanting, flowers around it. Well, and oatmeal cream pies <laughs> and cokes, and they were chanting anybody but Dabo. <laughs> How great is that? Man, his stock was like boom, man. Debo's stock was so high, and now he's got two black eyes. <laughs> he's, he's, playing, he's playing the Camping World Bowl. He's got two black eyes. Uh, let's let's switch things. Uh, let's switch things up just a little bit here. Uh, like I said, Scott Agnes coming your way at eight thirty today. Tons of college basketball we can dive into. But last night, I think there's two things. The Pacers played last night and they won, and that was a good thing. Beating Washington, uh, we know it's going to have to be six, seven, eight guys scoring in double figures. Jordan War had a nice game. We've talked about that. The other thing rearing its ugly head, and you know what's funny about this, Kevin? We were on the way to the elevator yesterday, and we talked about this very thing, did we not? Um, Yahoo Sports over the weekend had the report that 
the the, the Pacers were close with OG Ananobi. By the way, the Knicks five straight with OG. I know. Uh, that, you know, OG Ananobi, the Pacers absolutely were there. The Knicks had a better package, whatever. I mean, who knows? And... And now, is it Sam Amik, uh, Amik? How do you say his name? Do you know how to say his yeah. name? Okay, is that I how you say it? Right. I, think, yeah. I think that's it. Of the, a- of the Athletic reported, I know this has been talked about a little bit yesterday, uh, that the Indiana Pacers are seen by some rival executives as the leaders in the pack for Pascal Siakam. And then that dives into, we've had the conversation about Siakam, but then it further dives into some of the some of the finer points, like what are you willing to give up? What about Jairus Walker, who has very much been in the news that, you know, the Pacers, whether it be for Siakam or somebody else, don't want to, you know, I mean, come on, I don't want to say give up. Jairus Walker hasn't played, really, uh, in the NBA. So you have to make these salaries, you know, kind of, you have to make them fit. So, how, you know, who would fit in moving if they went for Siakam? And then the the one for me, which is, which is, you know, it's the gamble and it's the big conversation piece is if you're going to go out and get Pascal Siakam, there is the thought process out there. It's been reported that he's not going to give teams any assurances that he'll be back. So you're looking at a rental. Well, which, which that is a non-starter. Can we just say? Well, okay, so we agree on that because I'm a no. If you're making the move. I am a no if that's the he's case. he's not giving. Yeah, I, I, I'm a no no matter what, to okay. be honest with really? you. Really? Okay. But I am especially a no if he's going to look at you and say, yeah, we'll see what happens in free agency. What? <laughs> no, I, I'm not giving up those no. assets like that, those young players that you've... I mean, again, Jairus Walker's still, what, 19 years old, 20 years old, like, bailing on him right now. Oh, I'm not and, giving up Walker. And whatever, combining right. a Matherin, combining a Nemhard, whatever package would need to be done, obviously, I would assume some first-round pick would need to be thrown in there as well. That is a no thank you, especially if he's going to go the, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes there. Um, now, why am I a no no matter what, Andy? I'm just not a big Siakam guy when I think about the types of swings the Pacers have the opportunity to make in the Halliburton era. Halliburton's under contract for six years. In my opinion, you're going to get two big swings at it. Certainly one. And, and, and you know... Honestly, you hope it's really only one. You hope that the one swing is enough. But let's just say two. You know, all right, Tyrese, that one didn't work out. Give us one more shot at it. And then you take another swing at it. I don't want this to be one of the two swings. First off, every move I think has to be thought of with, okay, what is he bringing on the defensive end of the floor? That box does not check for me with him. I think it checked much, much more, much, much more with an OG and an OB. Two, I think offensively, while he could certainly alleviate some of the go-get-you-a-bucket, if that is an issue the Pacers have, I don't think that's a huge issue. Maybe it will be more come playoff time, but offensively, uh, that's not where the concern is for me. Uh, Yeah, certainly he can score, and score at a really, really high level in this league. But Andy, he's not some dude that just stands in the corner and Tyrese Halliburton you know, drives and facilitates and finds him the ball and he hits an open shot. That's not Siakam's game. And then age-wise... He does not match that timeline at all. You know, it was a brief period. But if you recall, uh, for what, 24 hours right before the start of the season, there was the Drew Holiday talk. Oh, yeah. And Drew Holiday I is, remember. you know, what, four years older, I believe, five years older than Siakam. So, again, age is different there. But why I even entertain the Holiday thought is he's an absolute dog on the defensive end of the floor. 
Siakam is, it, you'd be whimpering watching him play defense with this group. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't like it. I don't, and, and I am, trust me, I am all for, at some point here, in kind of the next 18 months, you should take that swing. A swing of this nature. But given his skill set, given his age, and especially given his apparent reluctance to commit to a team via trade, no thank you. Yeah, but why... I agree with you. Why would the why would the Pacers want a rental? That's not the type of team they have this year. They're not. Hey, yeah. we're one player away. We're that a makes no Pascal sense to me. C- we're a Pascal no. Siakam away from being in the NBA Finals. That's not me denouncing the Pacers. That's just reality. They're a good, fun, young team that I absolutely think could get into that six seed. Uh, I really thought they would have made the six seed, if you will, uh, maybe the five seed, whatever it may be, if they had Tyrese Halliburton. You know, his injury, if he's out four weeks, that's you know they're obviously going to lose some games, and it's going to be playing catch up the final twenty eight to thirty five games of the year. But for me, you know, to, to boy, this is like taking. It's not only taking a swing; it is. There's a lot of risk involved unless you know you can do what basically the Bears did with Montez Sweat. They traded the commanders. They got a big defensive lineman. And what did they do? The next day after trading him, they signed him to a long-term guaranteed money extension. Now, Siakam is up for the four-year, whatever it is, $192 million max contract he can get. I think the question is, if you're going to do one of these trades, Kevin, whether it's Siakam, whether it would have been OG Ananobi, or if it's somebody in the future, who are you good with letting go? You're not just going to give them an expiring deal of Obi Toppin and Buddy Heald and, you know, in, in a pick in three years and you're going to just wash your hands of the situation and you're going to get a guy that can average 25, 26 points a game and you're going to be able to do so by not giving up something that hurts. Something that hurts could be right. Jairus Walker, Benedict Matherin, if Miles Turner is involved. Like, a, like if you do this, I'm, I'm good with the swing, but the swing is going to involve one of these guys that you've praised for the last year or so not being on your team any longer. That I mean, that's going to happen. For sure, yeah. yeah. You, you don't acquire a player of that caliber without giving up something of note there. Um, you know, I, I've always kind of had this stance here with this season, Andy, of just let this grow. And I know, you know, JMV is probably going to drive his car off the road when he hears me say it, but just kind of let it grow organically. You know, this is Halliburton's kind of first, you know, full full year with, okay, there's not, like, you are unquestionably the lead dog, and I get that he was probably there for a vast majority of last season, but, like, there's no doubt about it. So, see what Matherin looks like. I mean, how much shuffling have we already seen starting lineup-wise in the first 30-40 games? Oh, goodness, we've had, what, five different combinations at least? It's just kind of, all right. let's see these pieces. Jalen Smith, a swing and a miss last year. All of a sudden, now Jalen Smith, like, looks like he has something. Isaiah Jackson's taking a really nice step forward. Matherin has had these up-and-down moments, and now we sit here and it's like, wait a minute, this is now trending in a really positive direction here as of late. Obviously, you've got a decision on Buddy Heald, who, you know, last night, you know, couldn't throw it in the ocean for you, and, and I, I don't think has had, you know, maybe the type of season you would have hoped for from him. So I'm all just kind of like, let's let things play out, and let's almost get to the offseason and then reassess things. I don't think you need to be in this, you know, heavy panic mode of, uh, yes, this is the time to to do it. I get that there was a little bit of a 
You've got cap space. You've got some young guys that you like, potentially other teams would like. You've got the additional first-round pick coming up this year. Uh, but you're still going to have that in the offseason. Um, I'm just not ready to say, see a Jairus Walker, see a Benedict Matherin, see a Andrew Nemhard, some combination of those guys for a 30-year-old that doesn't bring it on the defensive end of the floor and offensively, to me, he needs the ball so much. I want the ball in Halliburton's hands. And yeah, you want somebody to play off of him. But again, I look at defense first whenever you make a swing of this nature. And none of this is even getting into the rental aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, reading stuff right now, the Kings and a couple of different teams has fallen apart. And I do think Siakam not saying, yeah, I'll sign that four-year max deal is part of it. It's guarded aggression. You want to be aggressive, uh, but you also have some time here. And I think this is the first time, and Mark Dykton, you need to mark this before we go to break here. You, you need to mark this. It's the first time where the media, Kevin Bowen, is is it wants patience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually yeah, I, the media doesn't want patience. They say go get Pascal Siakam. This team needs to win fifty three games. You didn't go through the rebuild draft guys where you did to all of a sudden say see a nineteen year old Walker, see a twenty one year old Mather for for thirty two year old for for a thirty year old that that does not bring it on the end of the floor where you can't guard anybody. And also again, uh, there's no commitment to you long term. So yeah, I, I just don't. I am. L- I can listen to some things, clearly. I mean, hell, I was honestly one that was like, I'd listen to Drew Holiday, Mm -hmm. as crazy as that sounded to a lot of people. This is not one at all, really, for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm honestly holding my breath that the Pacers do not do this and continue to just kind of let things grow, get to the offseason, and see where you are at. All right, on the other side, we'll get in a little Colts conversation. Again, Chris Ballard coming up at 12.30 today. Anthony Richardson at 11. The list of free agents... Certainly notable. There's honestly a couple kind of second-tier guys that we probably shouldn't forget about as well. And could the Colts be playing overseas coming up in 2024? There are a couple options. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On the table for that, we'll explain more. Yeah, 8 o'clock hour coming up in a half an hour. Scott Agnes going to join us. We'll talk some Pacers with him. We'll talk about uh, the possibility of Pascal Siakam being traded here to Indianapolis. We'll do all of that coming up in about a half an hour. Reminder, broadcasting live this morning, as always, from the drivehubler.com studio. Tons to get to today. I said this last week, and I'm looking right at you, Mark Dighton, because you've made fun of these games. How bad do you wish there was a Thursday night football yep. game tonight? Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> How tell me you don't want Seahawks Jets tonight. Tell me you don't want Seattle and New York. I'm kidding. So I'd be down with that. Uh, sure, why yeah. not? I'd like to see Al Michaels fuming at 
how bad the slate is. Curse our fantasy yeah. leagues, KB. We get none of that. It's over. What a fast-moving uh, football season. And I'm looking here just on Twitter with the news coming down about an hour ago. Bill Belichick and the Patriots mutually parting ways. You combine that last night with Pete Carroll and Nick Saban. Pro Football Talks Mike, uh, Mike Florio says, you can get caught up in everything here, but this should be remembered as one of the most significant weeks in NFL history. And I would agree with that. Uh, Mike Vrabel out there in Tennessee uh, so obviously we'll keep watching and what goes on there. The other news out nowhere on the Richter scale of the Belichick news, but the NFL did announce earlier today you'll have four, uh, four of the international opponents for next season. Uh, those do include two Colts opponents. So again, the Vikings and Jags, along with the Bears and Panthers, will host a home game in Europe. Uh, Chicago, Minnesota, Jacksonville will be in London. Carolina will be in Munich. And that is of note to the Colts because the Colts do have road games against the Vikings and the Jags. And if you think back to Frankfurt, Germany, this past season, that was a Patriots home game with the Colts. So no announcement yet on the opponents for those teams, but, you know, it's a possibility. Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson, I think, would be somewhat appealing. I, I know, you know, back-to-back years for teams, uh, granted, be a different market. These would be London versus, you know, Frankfurt, Germany there. But just something to keep an eye on as the Colts have a chance to be playing overseas. Again, Vikings and Jags, those are two road opponents for the Colts. They will host respective home games in London. So we'll see an announcement later this year on that. And someone asked, do they play division games overseas? Yes. Specifically oh, the yeah. Jaguars do. They've played oh, all the three played all Jags. three FC South opponents in, yeah. in London. See what plays the Jags can win when they're over there, they're good. 2016, the Colts and Jags <laughs> over there. Yeah. They get back to Florida with uh, the people wearing cargo shorts in their pool. Unless they're playing the Colts. <laughs> unless they're playing, they're not unless good. They're playing in yeah. Indianapolis, uh-huh. uh, that they don't play very well. So uh, we shall see. Okay, so today, just to set things up again, uh, I would imagine Query and Company and JM They'll have this sound for you. Anthony Richardson will be meeting with the media today at 11 a.m. Chris Ballard, general manager, will be meeting with the media at 12.30 today. And we did a little bit of this yesterday. So, Kevin, you're going to be there. What is at or near the top of your list? If you get a couple questions to Ballard, uh, and we can even talk about this through the prism of what do you want to ask Anthony Richardson, but obviously Ballard uh, will be the headliner, if you will. Richardson, the opening band. Um, What do you want to hear from Ballard? What do you think we'll hear? What do you think we won't hear? And then I have two or three things as well that interest me uh, as the GM speaks today after the season. You know, I I always think this about Ballard and speaking to the media. I, I do think he's more candid than people maybe give him credit for when they compare him to the rest of the GMs around the league. And obviously, you know, him and I, we've we, we've played the audio from some from some prior press conferences over the years. But I just go back to his pre-draft press conference. You know, a week before the draft, when you are, cards could not be closer to the vest. And several times in that presser, he said, I cannot believe that everyone has this peg for a certain player right now. That could not be <laughs> further from the truth. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. And at that time, everyone nationally thought that it was Will Levis. And obviously it was not Will Levis. It was Anthony Richardson. So again, you know, and for GM lingo, Ballard's usually pretty candid when you compare him to others. Um, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a glaring, glaring question. Let me start there. But on the list would be uh, how much has Shane Sykin's presence changed or altered your opinion on roster building or influenced how you might go 
about the offseason. It's the first time he's ever built with a rookie quarterback. Does that change some things contractually when you look at not having to pay Anthony Richardson yet? Inevitably, you know, in about three years, that's going to kick in to having to pay him a little bit more. Oh, it's a it's a big deal. You know, like the patience we talked about with the Pacers. There's not quite the, it's a much the patience. shorter window. Yes, yeah. it's a shorter window and when NFL you're not life paying your quarterback. Is, NFL life is naturally shorter. Hundred uh, percent. You know, is Gus Bradley under contract? Uh, you're 28th in points allowed each of the last two years. Is that on personnel? Is that on scheme? Obviously, you know, an answer there could be, well, uh, that's either on me or on Gus Bradley when you word it like that. But I think that's a very fair question to be asked. Um, you know, Quiddy Pay is fifth-year option. I would not pick it up. Uh, will he? That's a decision they've got to make. Certainly the franchise tag, you get into that. That hasn't been something that they have really entertained at all uh, coming up. Uh, that's due here at the end of February, early March. Is that something at play for Michael Pittman Jr.? Do you worry if you do that, you could have another Jonathan Taylor type situation? I know it's not apples to apples, but uh, that would be, I think, a question to be asked. And then, you know, Andy, again, this is the first time we've heard him talk since the start of the season. Well, what's happened since the start of the year? Anthony Ooh, Richardson's got hurt. Lot. So, playing style, does right. that need to change? Uh, you pay Jonathan you Taylor. You pay Jonathan Taylor after you said, you know, four wins, you're not going to pay guys. You've so had what su- changed you've there? You've had what, since the beginning of the season, five or six suspensions of some kind. You've had a lot of off the field. Yep. Uh, tossing the Drew Ogletree arrest as well. Uh, and then the other thing I'd probably toss in since the start of the year, you know, you cut a guy off the side of your building. And that doesn't happen very often. You know, what went into the Shaquille Leonard release. So, those are... Not on the side the, of the building anymore either. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, Kenny Moore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that on uh, Saturday night there. Yeah, yeah, kind of odd that you know <laughs> Kenny Moore, free agent. I was about to say goes up you, there. You know, you someone who had a little bit of more staying power. Maybe that means he uh, is staying. Well, and, and Kenny Moore's made it very clear. Be. He's been pretty vocal that he would like to stay here. So those are some of the questions that I would throw. Chris as well. Yeah, I mean, to echo you, and I have a, I have a couple just different ones, but I, I think for me, yeah, franchise tag. I know they don't use the franchise tag. Ballard's use it against Pat McAfee, and that's about it. Uh, Michael Pittman, I think you're looking at him, and I think for me, free agent-wise, it's does he say something about, you know, Blackman, Moore, Grover Stewart, does he say something about those guys that makes us come in here tomorrow and think, okay, they want that guy back, right? That hey, There seems to be some importance that that guy is back, or does he give us the opposite of that where you think, I don't I don't know, Bauer wasn't talking as much about him. Maybe this guy isn't going to be back. Who knows if we get that? I sense that we probably will not, but I'm still throwing it out there. And then, listen, I know it's a boring conversation, even though we had it yesterday. You know, Gardner Minshew. I, you know, Gardner Minshew, not only it's easy to give us the 35-second soundbite of what he meant to the team, but that is an interesting position giving, uh, you know, the, what you went through the last few years, especially what you went through with Anthony Richardson. And then the other two things. Play this play the Steichen clip, Mark. Here's Steichen. This was Monday. Uh, a- after everything had settled down, Steichen has said this, Zaire Franklin has said this, and a couple other players, I think Jonathan Taylor as well. So this is something going on in the locker room that the Colts feel that they're right on the edge of being a pretty good team. I think we're right there. I think we're right there. And uh, you could see it by the way our guys fought, but every year is a new year. So we got to rebuild it again next year uh, and have that laser focus just every single day. The details, the preparation that we put into it. We got be all over it, but I do. I think we're right on the cusp of something really special here. Now, I think Shane Sykin should have 
a whole lot of say and influence in how they handle personnel. And I know that obviously bleeds into Chris Ballard's job, but I, I respect Steichen that much and, and think that, you know, ears need to be wide open when, when he's talking about what he thinks his team needs moving forward. So um, that is a question, again, that I would have for Ballard. I want to go back to Minshew for, for just a second. I know we focused on that yesterday, and Colin McCullough, who listens to the show and does a really nice job in just sharing Colts takes, he didn't necessarily tag us, but I assume he was referencing us on Twitter yesterday um, in that he is not necessarily a fan in bringing Minshew back. Um, you know, said something to the effect of, you know, did we watch the same quarterback, the one whose coach had to often win in spite of him? No thanks to changing the AR playbook for that very known ceiling. Uh, Minshew will still probably command something like five to ten million on the open market because he's an operational QB two, and those are rare. But for the Colts, I don't think it makes sense. Finding QB two is a better true scheme fit, and ideally doesn't have a defined mm. ceiling. Um, again, I am a fan of bringing Minshew back, and within that, there's a lot there, and there's some of it I certainly agree with. Uh, my thoughts on quarterback entering the offseason. You try and re-sign Minshew, and you draft one round five, six-ish in that range. Someone Steichen has identified, and that's kind of your higher upside, clearly has some issues that need to be developed, or else he would be drafted much higher. But that's the one you kind of groom. Um, But he says in there, operational QB2, and those are rare. I think we've got to be realistic in what backup quarterback is in the NFL. Like Gardner Minshew was seven and six as a starter. And I think ultimately what you're hoping for from a backup, it, sure, you'd love this high ceiling, budding star. He's the exact skill set as Richardson, who is obviously extremely unique in his skill set. But to me, when I think about a backup quarterback in the NFL, you've lost your starter for four weeks. Can that backup win you two of those four right. games? Can you go five hundred? That's kind of my like you know, just get to the to the standpoint of Coin flip, realistic scenario, survive, and move forward. Um, I do think Gardner Minshew, the fact that he knows Shane Steichen, that he has history with Anthony Richardson prior to the Colts, matters a little bit more. Um, But again, I look at it as, I've probably seen enough of the Sam Ellinger era, draft the new third quarterback, let Steichen groom, let Steichen grow. Maybe that guy has a little bit more skill set that you know replicates Richardson. But no, I think backup quarterback is too valuable and there are a lot of teams around the league, Andy, that saw their seasons wilt when they had to turn to that. Some did not, but others did. And others got into major scramble modes. Oh, sure they did. Trying Look to at find Minnesota. Yeah. some answer. You know, Pittsburgh yeah. had to go to number three sure. to finally get to that answer there. So um, I just think Minshew offers you a coin flip opportunity. There is clearly a defined ceiling. There's a really defined ceiling for 95% of backup quarterbacks in the NFL. So... Again, I, I still am a fan of bringing him back while totally acknowledging there is a defined ceiling. Welcome to life of backup quarterbacks in the league. I want to go back to that Steichen clip for a second. And I, listen, I agree with you. We've talked a lot of Minshew around here. They believe that, KB, they believe they're on the cusp. To me, and Ballard has to, like I would imagine Ballard feels that way. So my question to him would be, do you agree with your head coach and players that are talking like this, and that's an easy answer. I, he's not going to say no. No, you know, I don't think. I think you know this year was was a one off. I think we're a five win team. He's not going to say that. We understand that. So if everyone over there with the Colts believes that, 
What does Balor need to do to get them over the hump? Whether that be a new DC, uh, a way that you look at how you're running the defense, if you do keep Gus Bradley, um, if it's you know anything from a backup quarterback to what you need in the secondary to what you need in the draft, all the money you perhaps could have in free agency. So for me, it's do you believe you're on the cusp How do you not backslide, even though the schedule is going to be more difficult next year? And then the second one for me would be, and we've talked about this on this show, how much would would making the playoffs, and if you're getting ready for a game this week, Saturday, you're hosting Cleveland, even if you were on the road, you know what I mean. If the Colts would have made the playoffs, how much would that have changed the way we viewed Ballard, um, and again, I'm not even saying he wins a game in the playoffs, but everything that has happened here, if he would have made the playoffs with this team, how would we view him, his job, the roster, those sorts of things? Because, you know, as much as we've played nice with the Colts, that they had a great year and, and they overachieved, and to some level, KB, it was a success, and all those things are true, in the end, you know, we're running the JMV promo that basically says this. In the end, the NFL is black or white. You either win or you lose. And the Colts did not win on Saturday. And uh, listen, I know they didn't have Anthony Richardson. There are many different factors that go into it. And that's probably the answer. I didn't have my quarterback. We didn't have Anthony Richardson. Um, but if, if they'd have made the playoffs, how things would have felt if they would have even lost to Cleveland, made the playoffs. I wonder that as well with Chris Ballard today. Yeah, and honestly, when you look at the Ballard resume, just for his own, maybe sanity isn't the right word, but boy, didn't he just need a playoff appearance. I mean, isn't that how you feel? Because it's an ugly-looking resume of no division titles in the seven years, uh, in a division that certainly has been beyond manageable Prior to this And this season. would have been a division title right, right, on right, top right, of right. it. It's and, not and just going to be a six seed. You would have been a four seed. You know, and, and who knows if you would have won. Obviously, you've only won one playoff game in that span, two playoff appearances. You know, those are all numbers that when Jim Mercer, you know, labels him as the greatest GM hire of the 21st century, actions certainly have not backed up <laughs> those words. Um, I would say the other thing that you were kind of getting at there early on, again, falls back on the defense. And you know, Jamie, Jamie and I were discussing this yesterday. Like, there's a lot invested into that defense. And I know they're really young in the secondary. There are still some pretty darn high draft picks in the secondary. And there are a lot of high draft picks and money invested at the front of your defense. You know, at linebacker, two in-house guys that you re-signed in the front, whether you want to go first-round pick for Pay, you gave up a first-round pick for DeForest Buckner, and obviously you've paid him a huge amount of money. You've paid Grover Stewart big money. You paid Samson Ebicon big money. You've re-signed Tyquan Lewis now, who is also a free agent, a couple of different times. Dayo Adengbo was a second-round pick. Again, there was a there's a good amount of... This is not like... No, it's a lot of capital. This is not right. the Atlanta Falcons right. defense where like it's a little bit of a nondescript group there when you look at it on, on paper. Um, so why? Why 28th in points allowed? Because, Andy, look at the quarterbacks you played. You did not play a list of quarterbacks that said, oh, yeah, you should be bottom quartile, bottom quartile, bottom quartile in you know points allowed this season, and then 28th the year before. So that's now two seasons in a row where you've been one of the worst teams in points allowed. Last year, or I guess going back to 2022, 
you have the context of you turned the ball over a ton. You were the worst team in the NFL and giving it away. This year you weren't. So it's not like you put your defense in these horrific situations. You weren't great offensively, but you didn't give them short field after short field or really you know, just whatever. the Cleveland game is the only one that comes to mind where it's like, okay, there were a bunch of short fields here. Yeah. The defense had to do some work. So that I think is the other question. Royce says this going back to our Gardner Minshew thing, and I think this is pretty well said. Royce goes, With AR's injury history, uh, you must bring back Gardner. Hopefully you don't need him, but you know what you got in a five hundred backup quarterback. That's kind of where I'm at. That's how I feel. That's how everyone should feel, honestly. I just don't think backup quarterback, you can get too sexy with it. Like, you, yeah, ideally you would have this, you know, beautiful shining object that kind of is like Richardson stylistically, and you know, he offers this high ceiling, but I think there's a dose of reality that you live in, and the dose of reality is, if he sprains an ankle, and it's a high ankle sprain, he's out for three to four weeks, do you have a chance to win half the games? And I do think Minshew can offer you that. But I would still draft the quarterback behind that. By the way, backup, you use the word backup quarterbacks and stunning. Did you see Jake Browning's girlfriend? We never talked about Boy, that was... <laughs> Mark, did you happen to see this? Mark's like, I'll just stay out of this so. conversation. So. How did Mark miss this of Mark, all people? She, she was in a, Man. a silver bodysuit. Tell you what. For uh, Browning's final game there. I feel bad for those Cincinnati fathers that might have taken their kids to the game for a Christmas <laughs> gift. And son, focus on the field. Do not turn. No, we are not high fiving anyone in the suite. Maybe she got lost. Like keep at your the hands ski to lodge. yourself. <laughs> Woo! She did oh, look like man. something you would see in Dumb and Dumber. I, I was yeah. just gonna say it's like, like she, Swanson or Samsonite. She, she hung out with uh, Lloyd Mary? and Harry. <laughs> She's Mary. That's exactly who she is. Oh, yeah, the Rocky Mountains would be a lot rockier than this. <laughs> yeah, Jake Brownie, good for him. Good, what a, good for what Jacob. A, like low key Jake Brownie. What a great year for him. People learned who was he was. Say, he played well for the Bengals. They almost made the playoffs, and that good on, God on the field and off the field. Jake Brownie <laughs> mm-hmm. appears to be winning. Can, can I that play is. one piece of sound before we get to a check down and sure. we get Agnes up here? So I just saw this this morning. So I guess ESPN did this. You know, Chris Canty is on the morning show that comes on before us. We play the first hour undisputed from 6 to 7 o'clock. And yesterday, so this is during our show this happened, Dan Graziano of ESPN was on was in studio with them. Now, I guess Canty or maybe the producers there, they added some music to this. But you rarely get this. Graziano is a respected NFL uh, NFL insider. He crushed Aaron Rodgers. Mark, you're going to love this sound. Go ahead and play it. In terms of around the league, I think Aaron's you know sort of living down to his reputation in a lot of ways uh, as a as a you know attention hungry you know self absorbed individual that you know you hear a lot of things about how he's been in the Jets building since he got there and they're positive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, con artists can be very convincing, and uh, I think if he's if he's got the Jets fooled about who he is, then that's too bad for them, and eventually they'll pay the price for it. But uh, he's obviously uh, a liar and a, a, a narcissistic con artist uh, who is bad for everything he touches, and I think ultimately the Jets will pay the price. That was yesterday on Unsportsmanlike. What do you make of that con Got the artist? Ether soundtrack behind him. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, I like that, that. that. That music was a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the music helped it. I can't tell though. I mean, that's a that's a takedown. You know, I, I said this con artist um, back at Manningcast when Aaron Rodgers appeared on there with Peyton and Eli. I could listen to him talk football all day. 
Like I think it is such. I, I think he's such a great football mind. Love it. Um, boy, I wish that would be the case in his other other appearances. It sounds like it's <laughs> over, right? With him going on with McAfee, but McAfee made it clear this is something that happens annually, like. In January, whenever the season ends, oh yeah, well is they it, take their break. They can say that, but the season's not over. <laughs> you still, you still the playoffs and the well, Super the Bowl Jets season. Yes. I guess maybe is a better way. It's to put a it. great point. It's Colts at Jets next year. Colts are going to see Mister Rogers. Well, yeah, if he's healthy. And listen, Colts just need to worry. They just need to worry. I'm worried about Anthony Richardson playing on that turf. I'm not joking. They play the They'll Jets play and the Giants there twice. in MetLife. Uh, the Giants could Metlife, the, yeah. the, the Giants could be one of the teams that also goes overseas this year. They play Carolina. There's a thought kicking around the internet that that could be one of the other games oh, as that'll well. That'll be really exciting. Nine thirty, baby. Again, you're I'm sure ma- the again, Germans are going to love that. Again, one. you guys are making fun of it. How bad right now would you love Jets Carolina Panthers tonight at eight fifteen with Al Michaels? Luca uh, throws out the name of a uh, Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, I mean that that, that is no. one that I could no. look into. No. But I, I still don't sit here and think like all of a sudden even Tyrod Taylor gives you this like incredibly high ceiling versus Gardner Minshew. Here's what Tyrod Taylor is, and I saw way I've seen between the the Bills and the Giants and what San Diego when they were San Diego, maybe right when they were moving to L.A. It's when he got I've his seen, punctured lung. I do not. Yeah, I've San seen Diego. I've seen way too much of Tyrod Taylor, including this year. He misses easy small throws. And what did Gardner Minshew do? Didn't Gardner do that on the biggest play? Well, he did, but I mean, (laughs) otherwise, what has he done this season? I think some of the throws that Gardner has made that that Tyrod cannot make, but what Tyrod can do is he can run and he can throw the deep ball. So is that matching Richardson's skill set, though? And and that's, I think, what you listen to a little bit. But he gets injured, man. He's so injured. Sure. He's so... he, He is so injured. I mean, he got injured... The reason Tommy DeVito played in New York is because Tyrod Taylor continued to get injured. How about Minshew? 13 games played, didn't miss a single snap due to injury. Biggest stat of the year. Most of- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Prizing stat of the year is the one you just gave. Yeah, hanging out on this Thursday, drivehuber.com studios. We appreciate you making us part of your day. KB and Andy, we got you all the way until 10 o'clock today. Reminder, Pacers back in action tomorrow night. They begin that uh, that road trip. It's in Atlanta. We'll have all the coverage right here on The Fan. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott Agnes joins us, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, a busy morning in Pacerland. How are you? Hey, good morning. Doing well. How about you guys? Man, we are fantastic. Uh, we have NFL coaches retiring and being fired, and Saban is gone, and trade rumors with the Pacers and the game last night. So uh, tons to cover with you. Let, let's start here, and then we'll dive in perhaps to some of the uh, Pascal Siakam trade stuff and everything else. Uh, the injury itself, we haven't spoken to you since, uh, obviously, Halliburton went down, carried off, towel over the head. Boy, uh, a real grim scene the other 
other night. So the injury itself, what do you make of it? Just all of the a couple weeks, then we'll reevaluate. And then on top of it, you know, last night, a, a tough start. Second half got things going. What were some of the good things and bad things you saw last night with the Pacers? Yeah, so Andy, I mean, like most people, I thought it was going to be much worse. You see Ty go down. You see the unusual split. You see uh, him grimacing in pain and then needing to be carried off off the court and back to the locker room. I thought it'd be at least a grade two sprain, which would keep him out probably at least a month. But being the, the uh, lesser of a possible hamstring strain here um if it is just two three even four weeks if it's just that i think it's still uh the pacers made out right because i guess my first reaction here was oh no did something snap did so, you know it's sure <laughs> did a, a muscle or a tendon or, or you know whatever snap here and you're looking at something more extensive so all things considered i think the pacers are in good shape with that I, i'm sure he breathed a sigh of relief after all of that and the pain went down and such. And then coming last night as the Pacers wrapped up that homestand, which I give them a ton of credit, my goodness, to go four and one in that. I think if you would have talked to me before this and I said, I probably would have said three and two would have been a very successful homestand considering uh, four of the six games were against the top two powers in the Eastern conference. Uh, really impressive. Um, but in, in terms of last night's game, I think that's a kind of a preview of what it's going to be, at least in the meantime, for the next two, three weeks here, is it's going to be com- by committee. There's going to be some unique coaching that's going to go on. Uh, you're going to need maybe a random player off the bench, provide a jolt like Jordan War. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting necessarily him to come in and, and, and make an impact, and that's because you had a couple players ruled out as late-game scratches, uh, in, including Jairus Walker, who had played earlier in the day with the Mad Ants, but really did not look sharp. Well, it made sense. He was ill and not feeling completely himself. And um, Yeah, I think it makes some things very interesting as we head into this, this final month leading up to the trade deadline, too, as you referenced. Scott, I was hoping just from your vantage point, if you could kind of set the scene of what happened Monday night. You know, I, I was there, and the fir- first thought I had was, boy, same basket as Victor Oladipo. That, that, hey, that, me too. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of the first thing I thought. You know, obviously Halliburton had slipped earlier in the game on that end of the floor. You had had a couple of nice notes in there because my eyes started going to, all right, you know, is Kevin Pritchard going to the locker room? Is Chad Buchanan going to the locker room? Is his family going to the locker room? I think you mentioned his agent was in the building on on Monday night. So just kind of from your vantage point, uh, w- w- what did you think of everything that transpired post-injury? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the I guess the first thing that transpired after the shock of it all was I noted I, I had already noticed how he was wearing a different pair of shoes than I can remember him wearing. Now I should preface this by saying he basically wears a different pair of shoes every game, but almost always it's low top Kobe's meaning they don't go high up on his ankle. These were high tops um, and just different. So that stood out. We saw him slip very early in the game. That was on the kind of the side of his foot. This was very much on the side of his foot. And so I was trying to think about that and why that may have happened and why we haven't really seen that in the past. And the only thing I could come back to there was the shoe. But I thought it was telling them that James Johnson, Buddy Heald, picked him up. I think what's notable among that, too, is those are two arguably his best friends on the team. 
So that was not just, you know, the end of the bench guys or the rookies. In fact, it was it was neither right there. Um, so that was telling. I like the fact, KB, that uh, he already had a towel over his head, but, it, you know, maybe he clearly needed another one, and T.J. McConnell put it over there. And that's just kind of looking out for his teammate um, so that maybe fans in the crowd or the cameras can't capture whatever face or emotions are going on in his face in a in a weak moment there as he's trying to process what just happened to him on the court and what it might mean for his future. Uh, then he goes back to the locker room trailed by team's athletic training staff. Um, and then at halftime, you can start um, seeing individuals trickle back there. And uh, general manager Chad Buchanan was kind of waiting in the tunnel, as you referenced uh, with Dave Spahn as his agent of CAA, who just so happened to be there that game. Like there was no rhyme or reason necessarily that he was there, but I'm sure both Ty and Dave were glad that happened because then he was able to be with him that night and at the hospital the next day, get in the MRI and, and to do all those certain things. And then uh, after Dave and, and Chad went back, then Kevin Pritchard went back. Uh, Kelly Kroskoff, the assistant general manager, went back, and Ted Wu, um, then his mom, then his girlfriend. And so I keep hearing that from people underneath, and I'm like, all right, um, I don't, you're, you know, this is clearly serious. We, that doesn't necessarily mean it's super significant, but the fact that they're leaving their seats and everyone is going back there, um, yeah, that, that, was, that put me on high alert for what this could be. It was grim. The word I used was grim. I, I don't know the, the the carrying him off and the towel over the head. It scared mm-hmm. it scared the bleep out of me. It really did. If you're a fan sitting there, it's like wow. Then they came back and won. What they did in the second half uh, was impressive. All right, so Scott Agnes with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline on the Fan on this Thursday. You know this team's 22 and 15, and man, Scott, they really had things going. I mean, they really. I mean, they even won last night, but with Halliburton, they really had things going. So they're gonna take some losses here. I mean. A couple games against Denver. Utah's playing good basketball. Sacramento, obviously Phoenix, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, etc. You know, you come home, you get Denver again, you get Philly and then Phoenix. He probably, I kind of feel like, misses those games. What would be, in your opinion, keeping, you know, keeping their head above water, staying afloat, what would that mean to you? Yeah, you start right here, Andy, with this, this a six-game road trip. So it's the longest road trip of the season to this point right now. It includes a couple of back-to-backs, which is difficult. And it's really basically a, a, a game in Atlanta and then five games out west. And that's what's awkward about this, too, is uh, adding that Atlanta game. Uh, the most challenging part almost always in this, regardless of how good they are, is that what will be their first back-to-back, which I believe is Denver and then Salt Lake. Because just the different things, the altitude um, and going between the cities and not having rest, and that always seems to get them. I believe they've won off the top of my head in Denver like once in the last decade or so. Maybe it moved up to twice here in the last couple of years. But Denver has always been a tough place for the Pacers to play. Salt Lake City is incredible. Um, You'll have the emotion of Buddy Heald more so returning to Sacramento. Uh, if Tyrese is indeed on this trip, at least he'll be there and get experience it. Ty receives a warm reception. Buddy receives booze. Very different um, of how the fans feel about those two individuals. Uh, it, 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 this is a trip, too, where you can't count on any victories. I say that, too, because while Portland is poor and headed for rebuild, they also came here already this year and beat this Pacers group at home. And so 
I think over this process, one thing with or without Ty, Andy, here, um, what this team has to improve upon is the play, matching the level of their opponent. And too many times this season we've seen them play down their opponent. That's That was cognizant for this group last night, I think, when it was just two and a half weeks ago when they went into Washington. Now this was right after the in-season tournament, and they allowed that awful Wizards team to score 137 points and beat them. And so, yes, they disposed of the Celtics and, and got a win on Milwaukee and such. But um, whether it's a good team or bad, like on this road trip, that's what they got to improve upon is being consistent. And, and it's going to require other players to take on greater workloads. Scott Agnes is with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, I do have a couple questions in relation to the Pascal Siakam rumors of the Pacers, you know, having interests, you know, some rumors out there, what rival league executives feel like the Pacers could be the team to beat. Do you think Indiana would do a deal for Siakam without the assurance from him that he would resign there? Likely not, no. That's a tricky situation because of the ways in which you have to discover that officially. <laughs> um, but you can do your due diligence and understand, you know, how a player feels about a situation, feels about a city, feels about what number it's going to take to be able to re-sign him. Um, but no, that that's one of the great concerns Chad Buchanan talked with a few of us media about in July. I remember he goes, hey, look, there, it's a tricky situation to, to navigate through because there were several players they were in on or at least having conversations about who were entering contract years. There were several others who were at kind of the beginning of some of their careers or excuse me, of their contracts. So you, you knew exactly what it would cost you and thus it was easier to make an offer. Um, so that becomes more of a, a tricky stance here. Uh, but with, with Pascal or anyone, I guess, for that matter, you would want to have a handle of, their comfort with their future coming here, uh, if that was indeed the case. Okay, then the other one would be on the, uh, you know, what or who you would give up. Um, untouchable, I think, is such a weird word to use. Frankly, I don't think anybody should ever be untouchable. I would listen to any and all trade offers. You and I both. Uh, just to gather intel, period. But yep. um, I'll throw out a couple names. Jairus Walker, Benedict Mather, and Andrew Nemhard. Some combination of them. How hard do you think it would be to pry those guys away? Like, how much patience do you think the Pacers have with those pieces in particular? All three of them, of course, you know, have had very different starts to their NBA careers. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting you bring up those three because I figure it would take at least one of those. Um is kind of what I scribbled in my head of what what might be necessary. I'm thinking you would think a combination uh, of a pick. You would think uh, a combination of maybe an expiring contract that the Pacers have, and they have several of those. Um, A couple of them that will be over $20 million. Uh, And then one of of those young young talents that, uh, if it was Jairus, it would be a guy that could kind of potentially replace Pascal as a, a big four. Um, or the other two, they have the Canadian ties and also uh, two very impressive guys that you would hate to part with. But um, to, to say uh, on the other side of that, too, is the Pacers wouldn't do a deal if this person or this person is not in it. I think that's just too early. I think un- until you have a final call or get down to it, um, you're not crossing anyone, anyone, anybody out necessarily because, to your earlier point, you have to listen to everything. You, you, you have to have a starting point in a conversation 
Um, otherwise, <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. So um, I, I think you're absolutely on the right track, though. Hand raised, bit of a conspiracy theory here, and this will be the last one. Oh, so, I love Scott, these. thank you for the time here on this Thursday morning. You were you were at the Mad Ants game yesterday afternoon, correct? I was. Uh, did I see you uh, took a picture of Steve Simon? There? I did. Yep, he was sitting next to Lloyd Pierce during the game. Okay, so the expectation obviously is you know at at, at some point that Steve Simon will you know, take over for for Herb. Uh, am I reading too much into Steve Simon's there to take a look at Jarris Walker because he's involved in a trade package <laughs> with Pascal Siakam, and that's why he was that's why an owner would show up to a Mad Ants game on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a little bit of a stretch, Kevin, only because. Um, you know, he's involved in business decisions and business conversations. I don't know what his schedule was for the day, but he probably met with. Does he go to many of them? I guess I ask that in all seriousness. Like, I, I, I do find it. Does he go to many of them, if any? I mean, there's obviously not a lot of people that do yeah. go to those games. I did find it interesting that he was there. I did, too. I think it was more. I would treat it more as he was in the area. He was in the building, the Pacers again. Keep in mind, they're on a finishing up a two-week homestand, basically. So it's a perfect opportunity for him to be here. And, by the way, I should mention, because we haven't, Stephen Rails, the minority owner of the Pacers, was at a uh, game, I guess, forgetting my days of the week at this point. It's not game day. Uh, it would have been last week Stephen Rails was sitting courtside next to Rachel Simon at a Pacers game. So I think it's more the holidays on top of a homestand brings these individuals in town more and then while you're at the office so to speak why wouldn't you go down and stop and watch it and no steve did not watch the entire game at least from what i saw um and while i'm not at every single mad ants home game it is the first time i have seen him this season i am not connecting the dots though i think it's more i'm picturing him bouncing around from office to office while he's in town and checking in and getting reports on things scott agnes field house files scott thanks for waking up with us this morning <laughs> You bet. Thanks, guys.